You're listening to the Broadway Belters Podcast, where we sit down with some of Broadway's brightest stars to learn more about their journey behind the scenes. Hello, friends. We are back. Welcome to season two of the Broadway Belters podcast. We are kicking off this new season with an incredible guest. It is my honor to welcome the one and only Casey Levy. Casey has been seen on Broadway in Hairspray, Wicked, Hair, Ghosts, Les Mis, and as the iconic Snow Queen in Elsa, as Elsa in Disney's Frozen. When Broadway returns, you can see Casey in her seventh Broadway show, the highly anticipated revival of Caroline or Change. Welcome, Casey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing in this crazy time? I'm managing, I think. I'm juggling a lot of things like everyone else and just grateful to be healthy, honestly. And, uh, you know, trying to use the time to be with family. Can't be with our theatrical family. At least we can be with our actual families. Exactly. A small blessing in disguise. Yeah. How are you holding up? Good. Same. Just, you know, enjoying, like, like you said, I haven't had the time to really kind of just spend time with family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get crazy with work and caught up in everything. So it's been nice to spend quality time with the people that we love. Totally. Well, I'd love to jump back to the beginning of your journey for a moment. You grew up in Ontario, Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you find your way into theater while growing up? You know, I grew up with two older brothers. My brothers, Josh and Roby were always in theater and, um, I just wanted to do everything they did. So I think it started from that mostly. Um, my whole family's pretty musical. So like all our home videos are us singing everything and putting on plays in the house and around holidays. And so it was always part of our lives, music especially. And then I just, yeah, like following in my brother's footsteps kind of got involved in theater. But I was also a real sporty kid. So I played a lot of sports and did that kind of equally. And it wasn't until high school when I got super, super serious about theater and pursuing it at the university level. But yeah, I did community theater growing up. I did plays at my summer camp every summer. Hilariously, I played Fontaine and Les Mis at camp. And I also oh, wow. played, what's the other show I did that I ended up? Oh, I also played Sheila and Hare at camp. And then I went oh, on wow. to do those on Broadway, which was <laughs> hilarious. A foreshadowing there. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just always, you know, felt at home on stage. Like it was always my place being in a theater. And by the time I got to high school and was really thinking about what I wanted to pursue, I kind of uh, threw myself in that direction and, and said goodbye to basketball and baseball and really focused on theater. And that's sort of how it, it all began, really. Cool. Was there like one specific show that you saw or a cast album that you listened to that was like, oh, I think this is what I want to do that oh, totally. triggered it? Totally. I mean, I, I saw the Toronto production of Les Mis. You know, when I was growing up, Toronto was like Broadway North. Yeah. So we had sit-down productions of Les Mis, Phantom, Rent, Ragtime, um, a lot of those really, really big hits, Cats. So mm-hmm. my parents were huge theater goers and always took us. And um, I remember seeing Les Mis at eight years old and being intensely jealous of the young Cosettes. <laughs> and I was like, why am I not doing that? My parents were like, you are not have an agent. And I was like, but I want to do that. So I, I had that sort of competitive streak early on seeing those young girls my age up there on stage and thinking like, well, why can't I do that? <laughs> um, so that was really formative for me. And then seeing the production of Rent in, in Toronto when I was in high school was also huge for me. And that ended up being okay. my first job out of school. I did a national tour of Rent as Maureen. Yeah. Um, and that felt like, wow, if nothing else ever happens to me, like this will have been it. Because I did this. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, at the time I saw it, I think I was 14 or 13 and I was like all about Mimi. I was like, oh, I'm Mimi. <laughs> oh my God. Clearly I'm not Mimi, but um, <laughs> Maureen was like an afterthought to me. I was all about Mimi. <laughs> of course, those blue leather pants. Come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me um, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who is it? But yeah, it was, uh, that was another huge moment for me. So, I, but I really didn't know a ton of musicals going into drama school. Um, okay. I knew, you know, the biggies. And yeah. then I knew, of course, who the big composers were, but I didn't have like an extensive knowledge of like uh, the the artsy. The obscure like, stuff. and Exactly. I'm, okay. I was not that kid. Okay. So I did a lot of that learning while in college from my friends and cool. while I was out in the, in the world working after college. Cool. Like you said, after high school, you went to New York to attend the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Um, I'm a fellow alumni as well. Oh, you are? Um, uh, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. that. Looking back on your time in drama school, what did you learn about yourself either as a performer or just personally that you think set you up for success or you know, changed you to move on to the next chapter, I guess? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot. I feel like that age that you go to college is so huge for just developing into the person you're going to become. And so your college experience becomes even more important in a way. Moving to New York at 19 from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, you know, a pretty relatively small city um, just outside of Toronto, you know, was definitely like a shock in the best way. I was ready for New York. I was like, let me at it. Yeah. But it was a big, you know, 180. <laughs> so mm -hmm. getting used to life in New York was sort of like one chapter of drama school and just like navigating what it meant to be in a city that you didn't know anybody and trying to study yeah. this craft that felt in some ways really close to you and in some ways really foreign. So, um, and also just being a Canadian in the States, you wouldn't think is a big shift, but it really is just totally. energetically and culturally and stuff. So I was navigating all of that while also just being 19. And so some days felt great and some days felt really hard. And I had a few teachers at AMDA that I really connected to that, that I think helped usher me along. And I had a core group of friends that I really loved and I'm still close with. But I think the thing that really I took from my experience was learning how to audition. That was sort of like the, I hope this is answering your question too. But totally, way. totally. Okay. Yeah. Because I felt like by the time I graduated, I knew a little bit more of who I was as a performer, but okay. I hadn't cracked the code on like what it exactly was that I was selling in myself yet. Yeah. And um, I knew I could, I knew I had grown like with my singing and my dancing and my acting. Mm -hmm. But I mostly felt prepared to go in and audition. And that was like a, a really great secret weapon. Because, and that's what the training was excellent for, I felt. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I was someone who just like auditioned for everything. I went and lined up at 6 a.m. for all of those cattle calls that I don't even know if those exist anymore. But when I was starting out, that was the thing you did. Yeah. And, you know, you cut the thing out of backstage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kept it in your pocket. And um, yeah. I showed up at Chelsea Studios or wherever and waited to sing 16 bars. And I just went to everything. And I was really ambitious in that way and really well prepared. And I think that's truly the reason why I started to work early in the business. And then it was once I was working that I started to understand the role of the actor and how to show up and be like a member of the team. I think I learned right. all that stuff like on the job. Right. Totally. That's actually was my exact next question. You got cast as Maureen like immediately, basically for, after graduating and most training in theater programs and all of these BFA or college conservatory programs, I feel like is so craft and technique focused. And then the becoming a working actor and the etiquette and all that stuff comes after. So what was most surprising to you about being a working actor? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think navigating um, 
touring life in general was really interesting and new and just like what it meant to get on a bus and drive eight hours a day with your cast, show up in some city, throw your stuff in a motel, go to the theater, tech the show in like an hour and then do it for a brand new audience and then pick up and leave the next morning. It was a lot of one-nighters, a couple one-weekers, which felt very luxurious. (laughs) Luxurious. (laughs) Yeah. And just sort of figuring out how your show changes city to city for each audience and like how to elicit a response that you know is your job. Like, you know, you have your marks to hit and you have Mm -hmm. to produce that every single night over and over again. That was the real like education for me was the stamina and the consistency required of being a Broadway actor and doing eight shows a week. And that you can't really be taught. You sort of have to be thrown in the deep end and be like, okay, here we go. Because you're trained and trained and then you have to just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's what I really learned how to do on tour and how to uh, be flexible in the rehearsal room and be game and willing to try things and be brave. Um, And and also like uh, make sure I was still having fun and, you know, all of that and Mm -hmm. negotiating relationships with castmates and band members and crew members and it's yeah. a it's a whole interconnected web, you know. So totally, um, it was thrilling and exciting, and I think I've continued to learn that those lessons over and over again my entire career. Like that doesn't stop. Okay, I feel like you change and grow, and and you kind of pick new tools to put in your your toolbox as you go along. Yeah, for sure. What was it like then? If you like, you said you had saw Rent in Toronto growing up. You loved that. That was one of the shows that inspired you. What, what did it feel like to take that, the message of that story across the country and be a part of the Rent legacy? Because I feel like everyone who has done Rent, whether it's a non-actor or Broadway or, or production international, they're in that family and oh, they yeah. kind of all stick together. Totally. I mean, it was such a legacy to be part of. And Jonathan's family was so involved. They would come see us at various stops and we would do the peasant dinners that he used to do with his friends. And they would show us footage from him and share stories about him. And it was really like really, really special. And we felt like we were on the inside of this thing that had made us all love theater because my entire generation, like Rent was our Hamilton, you know, it was the reason we we got into the business um, and fell in love with theater. And so many of us that are now working, you know, in the higher levels of Broadway all started on that tour. Like my buddy Aaron Tveit was in the cast after me on that tour. Um, Rebecca Naomi Jones was in the cast after me. Constantine Maroulis also right after oh, me. Wow. There were just amazing talents that came through that non-ec networks tour and it started all of our careers. And so it's really fun now when we all see each other and remember how we initially connected that it was when we were just barely adults telling this incredible story that made us fall in love with theater in the first place. And Uh. the honor of being part of that legacy has never faded. That's always been something I've treasured. Hairspray was your Broadway debut after many years on the national tour and then in Toronto. I always like to ask people if you remember your Broadway debut or was it a blackout out of body experience? I have no idea what happened. I totally remember. And I think because I've been doing the show a while. So I didn't have the nerves of like, what's my next line, even though like I did a little bit, but I wasn't like new to the role. I've been playing Penny on the national tour for a year and a half and Mm -hmm. Um, covering it in the Toronto company prior to that. So I really felt like comfy in the show, even though they were new people around me on stage. Yeah. Um, and I think that helped me be able to like be present for the moment. But I remember when the scrim went up at the top of good morning, mm-hmm. Baltimore, and we're all on the line behind Tracy. <laughs> and I just remember seeing the lights, knowing my parents were out there. Some of my best friends from high school had flown in to see, and I just felt, I just felt so much joy because I, 
I loved my time with Hairspray. Hairspray was so good to me. I think that show was so beautiful and fun mm-hmm. and funny and smart. And um, I really felt like I had earned my Broadway debut. It wasn't handed to me because I had worked my way up in that company yeah. slowly and surely. So when it finally did happen and it was my Broadway debut, I just felt like intense gratitude and joy mm-hmm. and happiness. And, um, you know, we did really cute, typical things. Like we went to Carmine's after the show, <laughs> and me and my friends and family, and like celebrated my Broadway debut and took pictures with my parents outside their hotel. It was just like a very happy memory. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. Was there anything surprising about being on Broadway that had differed from your previous theatrical experiences or was it pretty similar to you? I mean, no, it felt different. Broadway always feels different. It always feels like the top tier, you know? There's just something sparkly and shiny and wonderful about it. Um, I might have been surprised by how like a sort of nitty gritty the backstages are when I first (laughs) started out. But even then, at that point, I had been on tour and I had done a bunch of other shows. So I knew it wasn't like a glamour situation Glamorous. backstage. <laughs> but I kind of loved how nitty gritty it was because yeah. you really feel like you're part of the legacy of in the history of Broadway, you know? Totally. Um, but no, I mean, just the level of talent and like the dedication of all the people in the building. That's always something that pulls me over from the yeah. cast to the crew, to the musicians, to the stage managers. It's like everyone... I think actually that's why I love theater so much as someone who was such an athlete growing up because it's team sports. Totally. It's the yeah. exact same thing, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're the star of the show, like you can't do the show alone. So Without everyone, yeah. yeah, there's something really like collaborative and wonderful that at whatever level of theater you're at, whether it's community theater or Broadway or anywhere in between, it's all about working together and that never goes away. Post Hairspray, you joined the Broadway company of Wicked as an ensemble mm-hmm. member and Alphaba understudy. I'm curious to know what your audition process was like for that show, because a lot of people I've talked to started going in for one thing and then they figured out who they were and moved them to a different thing. Like, how did that mm-hmm. work out for you? And how long yeah. was your process? It wasn't crazy long, but it was probably all told maybe a year, because I think I went in originally way back when, before... I did hairspray. They saw me as a Glinda because I was blonde. And I was like, oh. I do not sing. <laughs> um, and my agents at the time were like, just go in. Just, just use, wear a party dress. And I was like, oh, dear Lord. Oh, my um, God. So I went in and attempted to sing the opening <laughs> of Wicked. <laughs> and um, very quickly, Craig Burns, dear, wonderful Craig Burns, who was also sort of at the start of his career, was like, okay, I think you're an alphabet. So let's switch this out and gave me the alphabet sides. And I think by the time I went in for alphabet, I was in hairspray in some capacity, either on the tour. I don't, it's a little fuzzy, Yeah. but um, I did have my audition for hair for um, wicked. I actually remember this really well because by the time I went in for alphabet um, with like, you know, prepared sides that they had given me and, and like the wizard and I and divine gravity mm-hmm. I was in hairspray on Broadway because I remember my husband my now husband had asked me on a date the night wow. before my wicked audition and I was like I can't I have to audition for wicked tomorrow I'm not going on a date with you and he was not like, a good night hell? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that just to show you where my priorities were um so I totally canceled <laughs> on him so I would sound good the next day but uh um yeah I went in and I had I think one audition and then I had a, another callback. And then I think I had to go and dance because I was being seen for the singer dancer track. Okay. So, and at that time I really did dance. I don't really dance much <laughs> anymore. Um, but I just come off of hairspray, yeah. and, you know, doing all that cardio dance. And, um, yeah. so I went in and did a few pirouettes for wicked at a couple lifts <laughs> and squeaked through 
and then I got cast as the as the ensemble cover for the Broadway company um, oh. shortly after. So it wasn't like months and months of auditions, but it definitely stretched over a little while. Okay, cool. Interesting. Yeah. For those who don't know, there's a standby in Wicked and the understudy is second to go on. So the understudy doesn't go on very often. Do you remember that first time you went on for Alphaba and how oh. that was, I imagine, nerve-wracking since you didn't really have a lot of familiarity with that? Yeah. I mean, I'd been rehearsing the part every week in understudy rehearsal for like six months, but okay. it was about six months into my run, I think, that I went on. And I had two scheduled dates because Julia Murney was our Alphaba and she had scheduled a okay. vacation. So I knew when I was going on, which was a blessing. And I was so excited and my parents flew in and, you know, such a big deal, such a role. And like, especially then that was the role. Um, And I was nervous, but excited. And, you know, I think youth is on your side in those formative years because you just are like, okay, like you don't really (laughs) have time to like freak out. And it was sort of before, I mean, people were bootlegging, of course, then like there are tons of bootlegs of of Wicked, but it was, it was Mm. sort of before like Broadway performers were super aware of all the fandom stuff and all of the Mm -hmm. sort of chatter online. So I was sort of insulated from that. I didn't really know where to find that, nor was I looking. So I think that made it easier to be brave and get out there because I wasn't like, oh, are they going to trash me online or something? (laughs) You know, it was just like, here goes nothing. And I had a ball. I mean, it was so thrilling to play that part. I think I was surprised at at how well I did, frankly. Like I I knew I was prepared. I knew I knew the role, my marks and my notes and stuff. But I certainly wasn't like, oh, I got this or anything. I just think in the moment of doing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do I can do this. Like this is Mm -hmm. this is a good role for me. And I feel connected to it. And I was enjoying it, even though I was nervous and scared and excited and all of that. Yeah. And it was from those two performances where the wheel started to turn about me taking over um, Mm -hmm. in L.A. So it was a very big moment for me, for sure. Like you said, then you eventually moved to L.A. as standby first and then took over full time. Is that how that went? Yeah, it was really that I was coming in to take over, to get ready. Eating, but they needed a few weeks of a of a standby contract. So I got to stand by for like, I think, two weeks oh, okay. to taking over. It was and just like a, the timing of different people's contracts. How did it feel to marinate in that role full time? And you had you know played principal role before you on Broadway and Maureen. And but this was the leading lady leading a company. Was there pressure, I guess, is my question. Oh, my gosh. Tremendous pressure. I was really scared and nervous. I was really young. I think I was one of the youngest alphabets at the time to play the part full time. And I felt very young. Um, Just that I'd never lived in L.A. before. And then I was moving there by myself. I had no support system there. I had to, like, rent a car and find a sublet. And it just felt very um, scary, frankly. Yeah. And then coming into a company that had been an original company, a sit-down company that had assembled together and rehearsed together from scratch and replacing Eden, who was so loved and and so confident in the role and had been part of the Wicked family for so long by the time she opened um, in LA, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure to live up to her legacy and to sort of like be that person for the company. And I think really looking back, I just there was no way I was ever going to have been the leader I wanted to be because I was just trying to do the part, you know, and I was so young and so new and green, Ah, green. (laughs) Um, So like, it was a huge challenge and it was on the days it was great. It was awesome. And I felt on top of the world, but I was really, that was on stage, those, those good moments. And then off stage, I was really quite lonely and like isolated Okay. So it was a hard time to navigate for sure. 
and um, I missed New York. I missed my boyfriend. And um, I'd never really been the kind of person that was homesick before. But I think because I was in such a vulnerable position, all of that vulnerability sort of like dumped on top of each other. Yeah. Um, and then I was having vocal problems at the same time where I right. had this cyst I'd been singing around for a few years, or at least I'd only known about it for a few years, that was continually causing a problem. So even though I, I had a wonderful support system from Wicked itself, okay. like the, ups, the creative team, the producers were tremendously supportive of me and made it very clear that they were happy I was there. But I always felt like I was letting people down because I was trying to like be this diva of the business, which I just right. wasn't yet. And I was trying to sing the crap out of the show, eight shows a week and having like running a marathon with a rock in my shoe. Yeah. Yeah. And then like going home to my sad, lonely apartment and being like, where are my friends? Oh my so, so it was really tough, but I think it made me super strong over time and made me learn a lot about like how, how important your mental health is when you're doing mm -hmm. eight shows a week and trying to like be at the top of your game. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately it was amazing. I look back on it, but I know that when I was in it, it was really tough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like you had mentioned, you opened up, a, I think it was a few years ago or two years ago on Twitter about this vocal injury that you mm -hmm. had during Wicked. Um, and then that inspired a whole bunch of other performers to share their stories and keep, I guess, release their secrets because there is a, or there had been a stigma, unfortunately, around that topic. What yeah. inspired you to speak out about it? Well, I think I've come so far from that time and I mm -hmm. just felt like, why am I ashamed of something medical that happened to me that was beyond my control? At the time it happened, it very much felt, you know, I think as singers, we don't have like, we don't pick up an instrument and play it. It's not outside of our bodies, it's inside. And so it feels connected. I'm sure you know this and feel this way with your career in singing, but like, it's part of who you are. So yeah. when something that's part of who you are feels damaged or bad or wrong or is letting you down, you feel like it's because of something you're doing. And um, it took like it took the decade of me continuing to work in the business and keep sort of climbing the ladder and doing well and um, overcoming other challenges to realize that actually it's amazing I lasted as long as I did with that huge cyst on my cord because it shows how good my technique actually was. Whereas yeah. at the time I was like, you suck, you suck, you know? So um, I think it, I realized I wanted to share the story. It wasn't actually something I premeditated too much. I just sort of like one day was like, oh yeah, I should talk about this finally. Okay. Um, and then I was so surprised by the reaction because of course I know all the people in the business that have had right. vocal trouble because I've talked to a lot of them before their surgeries or their right. recoveries or during their struggles. But you never out anybody, of course. Right, and right. so when all of those people got brave and started sharing their story, it felt like this huge collective weight had been lifted off of our shoulders to say, oh, we're athletes and we're performing at the top of our game. And of course, our bodies take a beating. Of mm -hmm. course, our voices take a beating. And that it's actually a testament to our resilience and our craft that we keep going despite that, as opposed to feeling as though we aren't worthy or, you know, or we're damaged exactly. goods. Yeah. And I mean, there's still a stigma, but I think talking about it has helped. And I think it's nice for young new performers to see that the people that they, you know, worship online are right. not perfect. Humans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're humans. Yeah. And the trickle down of that, like when people start sharing things and talking about it, then young people are a little bit ahead because they're starting yes. not being afraid of those things. Totally. Yeah. No, we, yeah. We There's power in sharing the, the scary stuff and the vulnerabilities. There's definitely like there's support out there. You just have to be willing to be vulnerable, which is yeah. scary, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
To this day, the 2009 revival of Hair remains one of my favorite theatrical experiences. Mm -hmm. That show is such an ensemble piece. um, And you joined a tribe of performers that had already been together with in the park uh, with that production. Mm -hmm. So what was it like joining a cast that has already bonded and knows how to work together and then step into the rehearsal room with them? It was amazing. I mean, that also is the highlight of my career by far. And I've had such great experiences. So to say that is really like elevating that experience. But it was so special because myself and Gavin and Sasha, we were the new ones. Um, Mm -hmm. Our Dion, our Claude, and me as Sheila. And we were all nervous, but we all were no slouches either. So we knew like, okay, we've been cast for a reason. We deserve to be here. So I think it was definitely less less about the fear of like, can I do this? I think all of us were ready to jump in. Okay. Um, but we were like, will they like us? Will the tribe right. like us? You know, cause they right. had been together in the park. And I mean, we have this ongoing joke still a decade later, cause we're all on a group text, all of my, our entire cast. That's awesome. Um, yeah. We're all really, really close still. And there's definitely the jokes where me or Gavin or Sash will be like, Oh, remember the park and like the raccoons coming up on stage in the park? Cause we just weren't there. Um, the inside jokes of the park. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> so we, uh, we like to rub that in a bit, but, um, no, everyone was welcoming with open arms and, you know, Diane was so inspiring as our director and just mm-hmm. really kind of at this, I mean, she had, she was very well established, obviously at that point, but she also yeah. was becoming like a household name in musical theater and like was really um, her, her concept of that production really is what made what sort of like set the tone for what it would become. And she had us doing these really um, artsy character presentations at the beginning of the process where we all had to come in and present a performance art piece about our character. So it wasn't like, here's the principles and here's the ensemble. Like every ensemble member had a name of their own choosing, their own backstory. We had to answer questions within our presentation that was like, what did you bring to the tribe? What is your role in the tribe? You have to incorporate music. You have to incorporate, um, gosh, I don't remember all the things, but there was like a list of criteria. Okay. And that happened the first week. So it was like, hello, welcome, introductions. And, you know, some people... We're doing full on like dance performance art pieces. Some people got naked in their, in their presentations. Yeah. Wow. Some people wrote music. Um, some people jumped from the balcony down to the, to the orchestra, like Gosh. used the entire space. It was amazing and brave wow. and scary. And like, yeah. So it was a great initiation into us all bonding because we all got up in front of each other and like did our own one act play essentially. And that helped solidify the bond and then totally. just everything we went through, like everything we were fighting for off stage as a company mm-hmm. and marching on Washington for marriage equality. That was such like a priority in our, in our company and for our producers to have canceled the show and allowed us to go to DC and be part of wow. that movement was so, um, I mean, that just doesn't happen ever no. on Broadway. Yeah. And, um, so yeah. like Oscar Eustace being at the head of that and everybody at the public, just, you know, Jenny Gersten, all these wonderful people, Joey Parnes' office, like they, they really put their money where their mouth was. And so it didn't feel like we were wearing hippie costumes and like dancing around. It felt like we were really invested in the message of the story and the way in which that story resonated in 2009 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we got to do all the cool things, you know, from that season, just with, between the Tonys and all right. of the early morning performances on television shows and, you know, having them come up on stage at the end and dance with us. Every night was electric, every single yeah. night. You guys um, were like the you... toast of the town that season. Yeah, we were. And we felt, yeah. we felt like on top of the world in that way of like, 
being so connected with each other and so connected with New York. It was just such mm -hmm. a New York moment for all of us, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, did you get up on stage at the end when you? I did. You yes. Because nice. when I saw it, I was like right orchestra, super close. So we made mm -hmm. it up at the end. But yeah, it was yeah. incredible. I, you know, it's one of those shows that is still so vivid in my mind, like that whole experience of going to the theater and the curtain dropping and everything like that. It's just, it was so memorable. It was yeah. so impactful. Everything what Diane Paulus did with that was incredible. Amazing. Yeah. I feel like Hair is often one of those life changing shows for people who see it or people who do it. What did that show teach you about yourself? Like once you left that experience and you looked back on it, how were you changed? It was changed in a huge way. I think I felt more connected to my inner activist than I ever had before. I mean, playing Sheila will do that. But um, but I think it was really the collective group I was in and the message of the show and kind of the the beauty of of um, marrying your art with your politics. And that's something yeah. I've carried with me ever since, for sure, um, that I don't think I would have maybe been as brave to do if I hadn't been part of that production. But it is it makes sense that artists are political um, yeah. because we lead with our hearts and that's, you know, what's behind fighting for causes yeah. you believe in as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the most profound way in which I was changed sort of on a cellular level. And then as an artist, I think I was really I just leveled up. I was like ready to lead a company after that. I felt like I was I was in my body more as an actor. Um, I trusted myself more. And I felt like I was ready to kind of take on bigger roles and bigger challenges. Okay. Um, and that's because of what that experience taught me. Okay, cool. Anyone who knows me well knows that I am probably the biggest fan of Ghost the Musical. Really? <laughs> it is. I, I didn't love know that. Me. Oh, I love me some Ghost the Musical. Um, I remember listening to that album religiously when you guys were over in London and waiting for it to come to Broadway. Um, I was in AMDA at the time and I... Uh cut a last class one day to go play the lottery for the first preview oh my one and saw the sh and saw the first preview did we have a show um, stop that night do you remember yes we probably did there yeah. was a show stop i think i mean there were night. many a show stop at that show <laughs> well she she was a technical experiment oh yes she was yes, she uh, was. but Ghost, unfortunately, was not received well by the critics um, right. and didn't last super long. How do you deal with that as a performer? Because you put so much of your career into that show. I mean, you did it in London. I'm, I'm assuming you had been with it before then. Um, and yeah. it was supposed to be a hit, is what people expected. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think I knew in London that it was a hit in London, but I yeah. knew that New York was going to have trouble with it. Okay. Um, you know, the kinds of things that are hit in London are not necessarily a hit in New York and vice versa. So totally. we, we were prepared. We were like, we're not sure how this is going to go. We okay. knew we had a cool show. We knew we had awesome music and cool effects. We knew that the property itself of Ghost was like really romantic. And we knew yeah. the show was really sexy and really commercial and slick. And that doesn't always get received super, super well in New York. Mm -hmm. um, but we still were super proud of it and knew that we had to bring it in and take the chance. And, you know, we knew it would find its audience, okay. whether or not it would be like the toast of the Tonys, you know, nobody ever knows mm -hmm. those, those right. answers. But yeah, I mean, I think we were very proud of what we had done and eager to share it and eager to bring it over. And it was such a beast of a show. I mean, yeah. just technically speaking. So, so much, you know, blood, sweat and tears went into it. And, um, I just felt personally so thrilled that at the time I'd invested in London and going over there and being away from my life 
resulted in being able to bring it to Broadway. You know, that was Mm -hmm. a huge win for me. So even though it didn't have the run it was expected to have or hoped to have, I still felt tremendously proud and, and happy that it happened, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I feel like, I mean, maybe this is inaccurate, but I feel like we got to hear your voice in a different way in that show um, with more subtle parts of your voice. Um, Was that new for you as well were you like was that a learning experience for you about your voice oh totally I mean that was the biggest thrill I think of that entire production is that so much of what ended up in the show was modeled around my voice and that was the first time I'd experienced that as an actor where they were writing things and changing things for me um playing to my strengths which felt you know makes you feel super special obviously Um, and also brings a level of responsibility and honor to what you're doing. Cause you're like, Oh wow, I'm like contributing here. I'm yeah. not just replacing someone and moving in their footsteps and their vocal yeah. choices. So I had all this freedom to find cool stuff and collaborate. And I felt so supported by the team in doing that. I mean, I will never forget. There was a day we were working on nothing stops another day with Glenn Ballard and Dave Stewart, who wrote the music, you know, two absolute legends yeah. in rock yeah. music. And We didn't have the bridge and Dave, as he often did, would be in the rehearsal room with his sunglasses and his hat and he'd just (laughs) pick up his electric guitar and come over and he started playing some chords. We were like jamming and Glenn hadn't written the lyrics yet to the bridge, but he, Dave started playing some chords and I started just doing like a la 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 la. And Glenn said, hang on, hang on, hang on. Went in the little rehearsal room, came back 10 minutes later with a piece of paper with the bridge of Nothing Stops Another Day oh written. I know I have to let go of a life I'll never know, hard as it may seem. Try to understand instead, there's another life ahead. Hands it to me, teaches me the refined melody where he, you know, finessed it in this mm-hmm. beautiful way. And there was the bridge of the song. And I still oh have gosh. that little piece of paper tucked in my... I was going to say, I hope you have that somewhere. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So like that... I got to be part of that collaboration, yeah. you know, and like watch these two guys create. And it was amazing. And then, you know, recording the album, we got to record it at Abbey Road, like just crazy, oh, wow. the legacy um, and the access we had to the top tier of everything because of that team. Yeah, for sure. Was super thrilling. Was stacked. Um, yeah. yeah. Has there ever been a time in your career where you were, I mean, you've, worked a lot from the, from the outside eyes and have, have had great success, but has there ever been a time where maybe you were going through a little bit of like a rough patch or a bout of unemployment or something and maybe questioned your future in the industry? And then how did you move past that? Or how did you, you know, keep going? I, mean, I feel like that all the time. I feel like, okay. I'm really? Like, okay. Oh yeah. And especially early on, I mean, maybe a little less so now, but I certainly still, I don't ever feel like oh, I got this made or like, oh, I'm going to have like 15 calls of opportunity. You know, you're still auditioning. You're still hustling. You're still trying to stay relevant and um, trying to be like at the top of your game. But yeah, I mean, I always, the like the crazy in my head, which we all have, right? We all have the part that believes in ourselves. And then we all have the part that's like, you suck, you suck. You're trash. And I think that's normal. (laughs) Yeah, you're trash. (laughs) Exactly. So um, the you're trash side of my brain definitely kicks in near the end of every show I do. And it's like, you're never working again. They all hate you, you know? And so (laughs) you have to deal with those demons and you know that like it's irrational. Right. However, it's hard to silence those voices sometimes. So yes, I always think, oh God, will I ever work again? 
is this my last time on Broadway? You know, like all right. of those silly things. But things have a way of, of working themselves out, I guess. And I, I am and have always been just so freakishly ambitious and interested in like continuing to do better that okay. I never, like I never sort of settle for like, okay, I've, I've done the thing now. I'm ready to chill. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm always sort of like looking for the next thing. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that hunger not dying down is really what's kept me in the business and kept me doing the next thing. And, okay. um, but there's been tons of disappointments. There's been roles I thought I was going to get that I didn't get that went to other people that, um, at the time felt like, you know, total devastation. And then something else that was meant for me came my way instead. And, you right. know, the chips fall as they should, but that doesn't mean just cause as you said, it, it's, it's sort of from the outside looking in looks like I've never stopped working and I, I have worked pretty consistently. There's definitely been pockets of unemployment and there's definitely been heartbreaks where I thought, Oh, I thought that was great. I wanted that one. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. But um, I think that's part of it in any industry and especially in ours that you do have to sort of figure out how to weather those heartbreaks and then keep going forward anyways. Mm-hmm. And um, it usually makes the next thing you do get to do even sweeter because you Absolutely. appreciate it more. Let's talk Frozen. Uh, you initially did not get the role of Elsa um, when they were casting for that first workshop or lab. Um, and then the creative team kind of changed up and you were ultimately cast. How was overall, how long was that audition process then from start to finish? Um, so I first went in for Alex Timbers when he was doing, he was casting a workshop of it. I went in in April of 2016, two months after my son was born. And wow. I think it was one of my first auditions back at it. And I think it was actually my birthday week. And I had all of a sudden had like four auditions oh <clears throat> and was like, oh God, I haven't auditioned in a while because I've been like figuring out how to be a mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and I had a call back there in a nice session, but didn't get the job. Um, and that was the end of that. And then they did the workshop that spring, I believe. And after that workshop, um, the creative team changed and Michael Grandage came on board. And I think he had me come in and I want to say the fall, like September or October. Okay. And at that point I was already sort of in the mix for doing something else. And, um, I think that also contributed to me being like, Oh, sure. I'll go back in for Elsa. Okay. Cause I already have another job. Um, which is always the best way to audition. If you yes. can do that, if you're like, Oh, I've got something else lined up. That's when you should go audition. Cause all you're auditions just, are free. <laughs> yes. You give no Fs and you're just like, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and I almost didn't go because my voice was feeling scratchy that day. And I thought, oh, I shouldn't oh. go and sing Let It Go unless I feel really good. But then I was like, oh, Casey, get over yourself. So I went to the audition, thank God, and met Michael and his associates and his team. And I just had one of those auditions where I was like, oh, something happened in there that felt really, really good. Okay. And you just sort of get like a spidey sense when things are going right. Mm-hmm. So I had that session with him. And then I think I had a work session with my buddy, Stephen Aremus, who's the music supervisor who I'd gone way back with through Wicked and even Rent Times. Mm. And um, I was also really close with my husband and worked on his music. So like that felt comfy. So we had a little session on Let It Go and Monster where they taught me Monster for the first time. And I was like, oh, this is an amazing song. Mm. And then I had one more callback with Michael, which was like a work session, Michael Grandage, our director. Okay. And he um, was just so lovely in the room and, uh, vi- you know, was very clear he wanted his actors off book and ready to be up and working. So it really, truly was, it didn't feel quite like an audition or a callback. It felt more like a rehearsal session with him. Okay. And we did the scenes and we talked about the character and we did the songs. And I found out soon after that, 
that. So really was like three sessions, I guess. Wow. Okay. Um, the final, final one I was in the room. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's when I knew I was going to the final callbacks. Okay. Those didn't happen until February, I think. Oh, wow. And at that point, this is the only time I've done this actually in my entire career. They had rented out the little Schubert on 42nd Street, the mm -hmm. theater, and they held the callbacks on stage, which is like old school Gosh. Broadway. Yeah. Um, and I'd never had a like every little step right there. <laughs> exactly. And they had all of the final contenders for Elsa's, Anna's, Hans, Olaf, Kristoff all come in that day and they were mixing and matching and trying people on. And I mean, it was sort of like the who's who of Broadway. You saw yeah. all your friends there. Everyone was like, yeah. oh, hey, of course you're up for this. Of you know, course you're here in. for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was an insane day. And all of us were like, this is like Broadway lore to do an, a callback like this. And there were That's about 60 people from Disney theatricals in the audience watching yeah. those callbacks. Wow. So it was a big deal. Wow. Um, and it was that day that I, that I had my final and, and it was pretty magical. It was, wow. it was pouring rain and I was wearing like a dress, a blue dress, like everybody else. Um, <laughs> and, um, I had gone out to get some lunch around the corner at the diner that's connected to that theater. Mm -hmm. And I, threw on my rain boots and leggings and then the top part of the dress it was like a two-piecer so I looked absolutely nuts I threw a cardigan over it and I went out to get some soup and crackers or something because I was freezing and I didn't want to eat much but I was like I need to have some food yeah and I came back in and Michael saw me in the hallway and was like keep that on for your next session when you come in don't put this skirt back on wear the rain boots and the leggings and I was like what and he was like, yeah, yeah, you look like really cool and like really grounded and just like wear that when you come back in. So I did my final final in rain boots, <laughs> leggings, a crop top that was from the dress and like saying dangerous to dream and let it go in that. And it was oh, opposed wow. to like the dainty heels and dress yeah, I was wearing. And for some reason that assisted them in seeing me as, as the Elsa that they wanted. But you know, weird know. little sidebar story. It was an amazing day. It really wow. was. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I was interning at Telsey in 2016 and I remember that callback day for the, um, for the workshop and the pairing thing, like you said, like it was like, we all were just on the other side of the office wall, just like listening. Like this is crazy. It was just like you said, Broadway's. That's so Broadway's fun that best you were there for that. Yeah, it was like a, a day I'll never forget. And just you see so many people that you know and the mixing and matching. And okay, now this person come in and we'll take these two. And yeah. just crazy how, you know, and so many people in the room. I remember that too from Disney. Right. And yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it is such a lesson. And like the, these things are a jigsaw puzzle. It's everyone's so talented. There's a lot of people that can do things at any given moment. But it really is about like the magic of that pairing and that chemistry yeah. and that moment in time to find the people that ultimately get the job. And totally. that's a good thing for people to remember too when they're up for jobs that they don't necessarily always get. It's not like you suck and someone else was awesome. It was just like the mm -hmm. way the chips fell, the way the combinations worked, the way the chemistry was on yeah. that given day that causes some people to get things and others not, you know. Were you intimidated by this role at all and the expectation from audiences given the film's success and Adina Menzel, or did it feel very much like a different interpretation of it right off the bat? 
Yeah, I think a little of both. I mean, I think uh-huh. if I sat down and thought about it a lot, it could be, it could be scary, but I didn't really luxuriate in that too much. I didn't allow myself to like worry all that much because they had made it super, super clear that it was a different beast altogether. And there was all this new music that I was going to get to introduce that I was thrilled about. And nobody ever was like, we want you to sound like Adina did in the movie or any of that. They were like, we cast you for you. So that was super freeing right from the jump. And and I think set the tone for us to feel really free to try stuff. Um, So Patty and I both, we talk about this all the time and and said it in endless interviews, but it really did feel like our own thing. And, you know, we had the luxury too, of being the first people to do it. Like it's animated, you know, so it's voices. Um, We had the honor and privilege of actually bringing these young women to life and like Mm -hmm. the full 3D humans. Right. And yeah. um, I think that was um, helpful in figuring out how we wanted to go deeper with the roles and like having our songs, like, for instance, Dangerous to Dream, I think just brought so much to Elsa having that before Let It Go, let the audience understand her a little bit more. Totally. Um, and then it made Let It Go mean so much more. So I think those additions made like humanized these very famous characters yeah. and kind of lifted them off of the animated stage a little bit and put them more mm-hmm. into real life. Yeah. Frozen was your first Broadway gig while being a mother. I imagine that's incredibly difficult as you're missing those things like putting your baby to bed every night and bath time. And you're also not getting the full amount of rest that you're used to prior while navigating eight shows a week. Um, How did you find that balance? Oh, man, it was tough. And it continued to be tough the whole time. I mean, in some ways, it was easier because I didn't have the time to worry about myself it was really I mean I had I think when I started the the uh, lab my son was one um so he was a baby baby and um my husband is a professor at a university in like Atlantic City almost at Stockton University so he was gone half the week teaching so we had babysitters rotating in and out of our house and bless them thank god and a lot of those babysitters were my students when I taught at AMDA while I was pregnant So, um, and those girls are still part of our family. They're like my lifeline really. So they were a huge reason I could even do the job. And, um, I knew that my son was safe with them, but I also was, like you said, mourning, not being there for bath and bed and, you know, and then I was just exhausted because he was up at six every day or sometimes in the middle of the night and still needing bottles and still, you know, so it was madness for sure. And I don't really know how I I navigated it other than I didn't have time to be like, oh, I can't sing if I don't get eight hours. Like there was none of that anymore. used to be like (laughs) all about me. And now it was like, oh, you got four hours of sleep, tough shit, sing, let it go perfectly, or you're going to get fired. And you're like, okay. And so you figure it out. And so, you know, women, uh, parents in general, but women specifically are are superheroes and we adapt and figure it out as mothers. So Mm Um, there's a really awesome network of Broadway moms and we all lift each other up and that became a nice lifeline too. Oh, okay. But it really was just like day to day, week to week, figuring it out, you know, and some nights, mm-hmm. I mean, in previews for Broadway it was very difficult because we'd be rehearsing all day, changing yeah. stuff. I'd be away from my son constantly and then having to lead a company and yeah. play this role. And, you know, it was a challenge and it continues to be, but um, I had tremendous support from Disney just as far, just like that, emotional support. Tom Schumacher and Ann Court, who run Disney theatricals, are the best there is and yeah. are always very present and like in my room and like, hey, what do you need? Are you okay? Are you, are oh, you wow. your son? How's it going? How can we help? And just 
not taking them up on it necessarily, but knowing that I could, if I needed to shed a tear, I could, and that they wouldn't be like, oh no, our Elsa's freaking out. And they would be like, it's cool. You're juggling 8,000 things. We got your back. Like that alone allowed me to do my best work. And our stage managers were incredibly helpful with that. And then you have your, your whole team of you know, your voice teacher, my voice teacher, Liz Kaplan was my therapist and my guru. And so I'd see her a couple times a week for hugs and, and scales. And, um, she helped me get through and like Patty and my castmates, John Riddle and Greg Hildreth were really touchstones for me. So just like having your, your people yeah. and your voice teacher and your ENT and your massage therapist and team. sleeping <laughs> when you can, your team, yeah, yeah, helps you tackle these massive, massive moments when you're also a mom. But it was certainly very hard. <laughs> very uh, hard. I, but- <laughs> I can't even imagine. But you're juggling all of this. And everyone I've ever spoken to who worked at Frozen said you were an incredible leader in the Aww. building and such a like a pillar of strength in that company. Why do you think that it's important to have that dynamic in a company? And did that come naturally to you? Or did you kind of take a bit to figure it out specifically for that group of people? Oh, that's really lovely to hear. Um, I think that I felt like I wanted to be that for the company for sure. And I really um, was proud of what we were doing every night like as a collective. So it was easy to want to like be that Elsa for them, you know? Yeah. But I, I just genuinely loved everyone in that building. Our cast was really, really special and our crew, man, they were incredible. And so we did naturally feel like a team, but I do think that like, as far as leading a company goes, I, I like came into that. Um, and it was a nice lineup of being ready to lead a company properly and knowing what that is. Mm. lining up with playing Elsa because I, you know, with hair, for instance, I really watched Gavin and Will do that and learned from them and and took notes, took mental notes about what amazing leaders they were because they were really had the show on their shoulders and the rest of us supported them. And they were the ones doing a lot of the press and all the Tony stuff and watching them navigate those pressures, I think was a huge lesson for me. And then leading up Ghost and learning where I did well with that and where I fell short, that was also a really good learning experience for me. So I think by the time I came to Frozen, I was ready to like be that leader for the company. And there's something about like being thrown into the fire. Like, you you know, when you're Elsa and Patty is Anna, like we were like, oh, we're those people now. Yeah. Like everyone's like before opening night, like, oh, we should probably go to the stage and start the show together and like say a few words to the cast because like we're the stars of the show. So you okay. sort of step into it once you realize like, oh shit, it's me. Okay. It's our responsibility now. Yeah. 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 And then, and then I think you get surprised by how well you, you thrive in those environments, yeah. you know? And yeah. So we all really supported each other in that, but it was a special group at Frozen for sure. I mean, that was a very, very happy time. What are you most grateful for when you look back on your time with Frozen? Oh my God, everything. I mean, I I still can't believe I got to be the one to play the part, you know, and like created and do the album and do the Tonys and be that iconic part. And it's just wild. Like uh, what an honor, you know? And I think the best part of looking back on it is that I really enjoyed it while it was happening. I think I was Mm. experienced enough and old enough to realize how special it was as it was happening in a way that I hadn't with other jobs and stages of my life. And I think actually part of that is being a mom 
and part of that's being a wife and part of that's just being in my thirties. So I think it's like a culmination of a lot of things that allowed me to really see how special it was as it was happening. Yeah. And that I'm super grateful for, but like the people unmatched wonderfulness, um, in that casting crew and creative team and the opportunities it gave me, you know, were endless. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, it still blows my mind that it happened. <laughs> and I'm so grateful. Before the shutdown, you were about to start previews for Carolina Change on Broadway. Yeah. How did it feel to go from this big, sparkly Disney musical um, and then step into a rehearsal studio again, doing double duty for a little bit, um, with material that is definitely a bit heavier and a complete opposite of what you were doing? It felt thrilling and terrifying at the same time. To quote Penny Pingleton, it was, I'm thrilled and What did she say? <laughs> She would say, I'm thrilled and terrified to be here or something like that. Thrilled and scared. <laughs> That's what it was. It was, um, it was like I was wrapping up Frozen, this like three year journey with the show. So that was super emotional in and of itself. Okay. It was January, February when everyone's sick as a dog and I was ill. And I actually think I had probably COVID at the time, but didn't know okay. it. So I, I had missed like a week of shows at Frozen, which was awful. And I was, I lost days of my life sleeping and coughing and bronchitis oh and all sorts of awful stuff. And then I was trying to like, you know, do Janine Tesori and Tony Kushner's simple little musical Carolina right. Change and like, you know, do justice to that, which was such a 180 character wise, mm -hmm. vocally, uh, topically, energetically, everything was so different and kind of go back into more of an ensemble piece, which I was really excited about. That was one of the okay. main things that drew me to it in the first place. I've always loved that story. Mm -hmm. And when murmurs of it were coming around that it was that they were bringing it from London with Sharon, who's my buddy from doing ghosts. Oh, to May. <laughs> yep. Um, I was like, Oh, I think that's, that's my thing. I think that's my next okay. thing. So I sort of went in guns blazing. And when I got the job, I was thrilled and I started to do my homework right away. Cause I was like, okay, let me learn all this complicated music before day one, yeah. because I'll be in the throes of finishing up frozen. And I want to do that justice and like finish that chapter properly. Sure. And not sort of split my energies. Mm -hmm. So I got as prepared as I could. And, um, and the rehearsal room for Caroline was super electric and exciting. I mean, the cast that they've assembled is yeah. amazing. And the show, you know, at the time we were putting it up was super topical. And now when Broadway returns, we'll be yeah. even more so in light mm -hmm. of all of the Black Lives Matter protests and advocacy and change that's happening in our business and in our world. Like I think reopening Broadway with that show is going to be absolutely monumental. So I feel very fortunate that I have that to look forward to being a part of, to yeah. tell that story, you know, absolutely. but it's a complicated piece and it's loaded. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jewishly, it's really interesting too, as a Jewish artist yeah. to be telling that story is going to be a whole new chapter in my career too, because I haven't really done anything like that yet. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to be excited about for that um, to return. Like you yeah. said, the Broadway shutdown has obviously been devastating to our community for so many reasons, um, but it has given us a chance to take a step back and kind of reflect on the need for some desperate change right within our own industry, um, racial equity. What changes do you hope to see when Broadway does return? Oh my gosh. I think it's time for a lot of this to come to the forefront. So I think that more voices need to be heard more often. Yeah. Um, I think a lot better listening from a lot of the people that are used to doing the speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and I count myself in that group as well. And just sort of reevaluating the, the roles we all sort of fit into. I think that will happen naturally now as we come back that 
I don't know, when I was coming up in the business and starting out, actors had their place, producers had their place, directors had their place. And I think now the dialogue is just so much more open and should be, and will continue to be um, moving forward. And I think that's going to help bring some proper visibility and equity to the rehearsal room and Mm -hmm. the casting process Mm -hmm. and opening up people's minds and thinking a little bit differently. And that's going to then bleed into the way in which stories are told on stage and the way in which the audiences receive them. And I'm very excited for that shift because I think it's time. I mean, it's overdue, obviously. Um, And I think it's going to lead to better art, you know, and more interesting stories being told and more opportunities for stories that have been sidelined to take center stage. And, um, you know, there's room for everybody. There needs to be, but there also just is. We just have to change this like sort of archaic way of operating in the theater world and in this like commercial Broadway world. And I think everyone seems to be for the most part on board to do that. And I think it'll be messy and hard and not simple at all, but it does seem like everyone's awake now, you know, and wanting to change. And from the macro things to the micro things, you Mm -hmm. know, to like the tiny interactions that can be problematic to the bigger ones. I'm hoping to see some of those changes. And, and as a, a woman and an actor, both of those things tend to put you lower on the food chain. I'm looking forward to actors feeling more emboldened in the room to um, offer ideas mm-hmm. and to not be bullied. I've seen a lot of bullying over the years, unintentionally, not always right. outright, not always aware, but a lot of belittling of actors over the years. Even in great rooms, there's moments yeah. that um, make everybody freak out a little bit privately okay. and a lot of people crying in back rooms and stuff. And I would like to see that end. Um, yeah. And people feel emboldened to speak up when they're being mistreated um, without fear of retaliation or fear right. of losing their job or fear losing of being labeled difficult. Difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of change coming. It's time. Yep. Uh, w- one last question. Yeah. If you could sit down with 19-year-old Casey Levy, who just arrived in New York and was bright-eyed <laughs> and bushy-tailed, ready to go, what advice would you give her? Oh, man. I think I would say to hmm, stay as open as you can. Say yes as often as you can. But don't feel like you need to be all things to all people. I think young actors feel that they need to be like smiley and shiny and perfect and ready and ready to hit the note and in the cute outfit and super skinny and super made up and it's just all bullshit. So I would tell her to um, keep the fun of why we get into this in the first place at the forefront, be super kind to everybody and listen more than you speak. Because okay. that's when I've done the best learning and had the most fulfilling experiences is when I've looked to the elders in the company and watched them and learned from them and just paused, just paused. Because mm. I know I'm a very emotional person and I think a lot of us actors are. And um, it's by nature of what we do. It's what makes us good at our jobs, but it also can bring on a lot of suffering. So I think yeah. that pausing in those moments of like heightened emotional states and taking a breath or waiting an hour or waiting a day to tackle something, you always have like new perspective when you pause. So yeah. to pause, to be kind, to remember the fun of it. We are not performing open heart surgery here. We're singing yes. and dancing for a living um, and mm-hmm. telling stories and, and 
to stay open to all of that. That's the advice I would give. I love that. Well, mm-hmm. Casey, thank you so much for spending time with me today and chatting about your journey. This was wonderful. It was so great. Thanks for having me. I love that you do this. Thank you. Hey, Broadway Builders listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram at BUA Belters Podcast. And if you're feeling extra supportive, go ahead and share today's episode with a friend. The Broadway Belters Podcast was produced today by me, Nick Ferreo. Thank you for listening. <laughs>